Welcome, or welcome back to The Handmaid's Takes, a uh, podcast recapping Hulu's original series, The Handmaid's Tale, a.k.a. The Yossification of Anne Frank. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts, and uh, I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hey, Will, I almost said, hey, Liz. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine to do. Hey, Will, under his eye. Yeah, yeah, may the Lord, whatever. <laughs> Blessed be the fruit. <laughs> yeah, of thy womb, Jesus, yes. Uh, what uh, What is up? How are you? I'm good. I, have we recorded a podcast since I was not sick? Uh, not that I recall. So I just feel like I should have on the record for all of our dedicated listeners yeah um that i'm not sick after being sick for like three months Mm -hmm. um and i feel like i would like to tell you what that is because it was so weird and maybe if this happens to you you'll know what to do so the thing was if you remember i just felt really sick and fatigued for like three months and i finally see an ent and this ent is like jumping out of her pants to tell me what's wrong with me like she like she was she had this i've never seen a doctor look like this will she looked so happy so smug she was horny for diagnosis (laughs) And she was like, she was like, I know what you have. And I was like, you do? Like, it just felt like bullshit. Like, I was like mm-hmm. so skeptical the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, if you Google it, it won't be the presentation that you're used to, uh, that you'll see, but you have TMJ, which TMJ is a long thing that I'm not going to remember. And actually what she said was the long thing. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, TMJ, do you know anything about TMJ? Do you remember, like, did you have a sense of this before I told you? No, I didn't. I only know what I know from you. So TMJ is like, um, it's a thing that can happen in your jaw where basically the muscles, I'm sort of pointing from my ear down my jawline um, and down my neck. Those muscles and tendons um, can get inflamed. And for some people, it's because their jaw doesn't sit in their, in your skull correctly. Um, For some people, it's because they grind their teeth. I don't grind my teeth, but I do clench my jaw quite a bit when I'm frustrated. Um, And also my jaw is a little bit slidey. And for most people, it's like pain chewing or their like jaw clicks a lot, which it feels bad. Um, For me, I just have always, I always have really, really tense muscles in my neck. So that's not helping because that's pulling on my jaw. And basically like because I had that root canal earlier in the year, everything there got really stressed out. And so Mm -hmm. it got really inflamed. And when it got really inflamed, um, my body said, oh, let's do an immune response. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, basically my body thought that I was sick all of the time. And so it kept trying to bring down this inflammation. And that's also why if I rested a lot, um, I would feel better in the more, I would feel better if I rested a lot. Um, This is also why I was probably feeling worse in the morning because I was, you know, tightening up my jaw at night when I slept, which is dumb. Why would I do that? Um, but yeah, so they the solution was they put me on muscle relaxers and I got two massages in a two-week period and then I was better. Mm-hmm. Great. And it's amazing. It, fe- it feels fake. Like it feels fake that I was sick and it feels fake that this worked, but it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, good for you. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's working. And I have more good news for you. We are doing a podcast where we have to watch and talk about a show that I can't think of any reason why it would give you any 
cause <laughs> for clenching your jaw in frustration. Yes. Um, I want to, uh, before we get into uh, the first two episodes of season five of The Handmaid's Tale, which is what we're here to discuss. Yes. And normally you would say that, but I want to emphasize this is not an episode of the Smug Buds podcast. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we do not do uh, old business from the Smug Buds podcast. Uh, but if we did, I would have a, an awful lot to catch up on because the last time we, uh, Liz and I host a, a podcast called The Smug Buds, and uh, the last time we did an episode of that, um, you used that as an opportunity to uh, give a birthday gift to a child. Yes, to uh, Owen. And uh, so it made no sense to go over any old business knowing that, <laughs> right. the, that the intended audience was a new listener. Yes. Uh, so uh, we we haven't done old business since, excuse me, I did my comic books episode mm-hmm. in July and now it's mid-September and I have a long list of things we could go over and I thought, what? Well, I will parcel them out. Okay. Over the over the next several weeks. Nice. So I wanted to start with uh, I sort of ended the comic books episode on a little bit of a cliffhanger because it was just before the uh, premiere of the Paper Girls uh, right. television yeah. show for for Prime. So I just wanted to click quickly close that loop by saying I watched the Paper Girls show. It was uh-huh. pretty good. Yeah. It's been canceled by now. No. <laughs> I wish it weren't canceled. I would love for it to come back for another season. I would happily watch that. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. Was it great? It wasn't even quite there. But I I, I must give a credit for this. The main cast of the four main characters who are all young girls mm-hmm. were 100% excellent. They're, it, That's great. They're, they're, they're wonderful. They did an awesome job. And there was at least one moment in particular when I was watching the show and it totally transcended any reservations that I had about it, any criticisms for it. There was at least one scene where I just uh, felt, you know, in my bones, like, those are my two friends on screen. Like, <laughs> the, like yeah, yeah. KJ and Mac from the comic book that I love so much. Uh, and they're my friends because I know them from the comic. There, yeah. they, there they are up on screen, and and that's them. And this is and this is good. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, I would recommend it, but also I much more strongly, as I said before, recommend uh, reading the the comic book Paper Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not do both if you have the time? Yeah. But uh, I, I'm going to use that as a transition because I can think of a reason. Why you might not have the time, or you might feel that you don't have the time, uh-huh. and that is uh, th- th- at this moment, just for like the last month or two, I feel like peak TV has been hitting a critical mass. You think so? I think so. I think the the list of shows that I'm currently watching, plus the list of shows that I intend to watch that are on my mm-hmm. to do list. Has never been longer. Oh, that's so interesting. Than okay. right now, and and there's obviously there's there's two towers, if you will. There's two big uh, <laughs> pillars 
for why this is true. Mm-hmm. Two new shows came along. They're both prequels. They're both high fantasy. They're obviously designed to compete with one another, which right, is why yes. they came along at the same time. Ah, uh, yes. The Lord of the Rings show and the and the new Game of Thrones show, which I've been watching both of, by the way. We have also been watching both of them. We have all, we have been mildly enjoying both of them. I do have my preference for one over the other. Please ga- tell me your preference is the Lord of the Rings show. Yes, it is. Okay, and the game, of, the game of Thrones show could <laughs> fade away into obscurity and nothingness, and I wouldn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel some uh, genuine attachment to the Lord of the Rings show by now. Uh, we're four episodes in. But um, on top of that, you know, it's we've been keeping up in the past uh, couple of months with, you know, new seasons of what we do in the shadows and with mm-hmm. reservation dogs. There's a season of the bachelorette, uh, which is wrapping up. Uh, oh yeah. Sarah gave me week. some updates on that. Okay. Every so often Sarah gets bored and says, I'm bored. Can I give you an extensive update on the bachelor parentheses at that's happening? So I just uh, got an update on that. <laughs> that's a, that's fun. That's, that's a fun activity. It is. <laughs> uh, to be on the giving or the receiving end of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, the, I, I, you know, there's a, a, several shows, I won't bother to list them all, but either they've piqued my interest just on their own or the buzz about them is, is good. They have the support of that. Uh, and into this, uh, landscape comes a new season of The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> A show I am so compelled to watch, it might as well be a contractual obligation. <laughs> uh, Can dis- I? Despite, oh, as, despite, as everyone knows, if they're listening to this, uh, I think that the show is bad and has been mostly bad for a long time. Yes. Despite having some good qualities that yeah. also make it compelling. Kind of the way that I talked about Bandersnatch earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Can I do some... Some Handmaid's Tale old business? Yeah, go for it. Old business. Okay, we just held for the jingle, so you just heard the jingle. (laughs) I thought I was clear that this is not an episode of the Spunk Buds, but... (laughs) No, but this is Handmaid's Tale old business. All right, fair. I guess the jingle is the same across the two It's the same. I can make a new jingle if you want with an updated Elliot voice. No, I don't. It's fine. (laughs) I texted you this, but I thought, but it's from an old season, and so I thought it made sense to talk about it here really quick up at the top. Yeah. As you know, maybe my least favorite thing, I mean, like, besides all of the rape and violence (laughs) in The Handmaid's Tale, is the fact that they put fucking arms on the Washington Monument. Yes. They made it into a cross by adding the horizontal part. And the thing that makes me so mad about this is that... The Washington Monument, for being a fucking straight up and down obelisk, is already not structurally sound. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way in hell that it could support arms like that. But even, let's say if it was structurally sound, it still could not, do, do they know how heavy marble is? <laughs> you're, like, assu- you're, yeah, you're assuming that it's all marble. Yes. I mean, it's made to look like it's exactly the same, I guess is my point. True, Yes. Okay, so I've come up with another reason why I hate this, Mm -hmm. which is that I feel like something that struck me the other day when I was talking to my co-editor, Tim, about this, was I was like, this is my least favorite thing, was that they don't 
even use cross imagery much in the show mm. or the book. Like, mm. like just to take a step back, if we're looking at like the mythology of the world, right? Jesus isn't really part of it. It's definitely a Christianity, right? Because they're mm-hmm. pulling from the Bible, but they're mostly pulling from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely like, you know, there's like a, a whiteness to like the white Christianity that they're pulling from. Um, but it's not like a Jesus show. There aren't crosses everywhere. When like, so the fact that they, the, the, the show, clearly, because this is not from the book, was like, oh, we'll turn the Washington Monument into a cross, which again, doesn't make any sense. Um, like from a structural standpoint, doesn't even make sense within the mythology of the show because they don't use cross imagery. Mm-hmm. They don't use Jesus metaphors. Like Jesus does not, it's not a Jesus show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, 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 that's fair. That's totally fair enough. I guess um, a, a couple of things I could say. One is you, you yourself in the last uh, 13 minutes quoted the show saying, Blessed be the fruit. Mm-hmm. The fruit is Jesus Christ. Is the, it? Because I thought that that was quoting the the passage where they, um, because there's that passage that they quote whenever they do the ceremony about how so-and-so couldn't have a baby, so she asked somebody else to get pregnant. Mm. I thought that's what, what that was referring to. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I guess I... I but I'm also, I could be wrong, but... No, I could uh, that that could be totally correct, and I could be uh, off base by making an assumption that um, it's referring to the fruit of Mary's womb rather than another, like the miracle, another biblical figure's womb. In a in in a Christian's mind, I think yeah, uh, you know, the fruit would primarily be a reference to to Jesus, but. Um, as you say, yes, they are uh, pulling focus uh, much more to other parts of the Bible, especially parts from the Old Testament. I will say, too, let's say you're right, which you very well could be. Um, I'm not saying this, like, in a mean way. <laughs> I just mean, like, hypothetically, you're right and I'm wrong and that's fine. I still would argue that they're focusing on Jesus's conception, not his death, which is still not cross imagery. Mm hmm. Yeah, off the top of your head, can you remember? Um, I I I seem to remember that there was a scene or two that were uh, that took place like at the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I can't seem to remember was the what is was the Lincoln Memorial just like intact or? I think Lincoln was missing his head. Yeah, I, that that feels to me like something that they did but also i i haven't watched that you know season three i think that was season three yeah it's been a while i haven't re-watched any of the obviously (laughs) and uh, you know i'm i'm insane but i'm not that insane (laughs) um and then on top of that i've i've seen or been aware of other media that have fucked with the Lincoln Memorial for similar purposes. And yeah. so I'm like, well, am I just remembering what Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes did? Or or <laughs> am I remembering something from the show I'm uh, trying to remember? Yeah. I'm going to um, Google it really quick to see if it shows up. Bioshock Infinite, I think, was another one. Oh, yeah. And, and so the reason I brought that up is because I was thinking to myself, like, 
Does it make more sense that they would modify the Washington Monument or that they would just destroy it? Knowing that they're, you know, I assume that they have an interest in asserting themselves as a new and distinct nation yeah. from the United States of America. So they, I found an image of it, and it's not that he's headless per se, as so mm. much as he is like, because he's sitting in a chair with his arms on the armrests. Yep. And so he's like, sort of from the shoulders, it, with a little arc down to his other shoulder, is gone. Ah, uh, yeah. That makes sense. So it's which, which honestly is probably cooler looking than if they had just like chopped the head off. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what it makes sense for uh, the, you know, people who have an interest in Gilead being Gilead and being being powerful and being assertive. Yeah. What it would make sense for them to do with the iconography of the uh, nation's capital as, yeah. as they are taking it over. And... Um, yeah, I would think that they would probably tear down a monument to George Washington, but mm-hmm. um, somebody saw an opportunity to impossibly make it into a cross. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, he- here's how how we got here. <laughs> when there were when there were three full seasons of The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. I did an episode about the show so far. Last year, we did an episode about season four once it was done. Now, we have this moment. uh, It's September 17th, 2022, when we're recording this. Um, We have to record something now or probably not have a new episode this month. Yeah. And uh, you had proposed a a while back, um, what if we didn't wait until the season of the show was over, but we did a recap style podcast with multiple episodes. And so we're going to try it. Um, And if uh, scheduling doesn't work out or there's some reason that the show gives us uh, for not wanting to do that, (laughs) that's fine. We can bail on it anytime. But if things go according to plan, then this is the first of five episodes, Mm -hmm. assuming that there are 10 episodes this season. Mm-hmm. And it had a uh, two-episode premiere this past Wednesday. And so we've watched episodes one and two, and we're here to talk about them. Yes. Episode one is called Morning. Oh, right. Uh, spelled without a U, um, but that's definitely uh, intended to be a pun. Mm-hmm. And how does it begin? With a needle drop. Yes. Of that song that I should have looked up the name of, but I can sing it. Yeah, well, I could sing it too, (laughs) yes. Uh, Dream. Dream, dream, dream. That's the one. Yes. So uh, immediately they they give us that. And so immediately my my thought is, oh, damn, they're... (laughs) back on their bullshit now they're yeah they're they are just going to be aggressively the show that i've criticized it for being now one episode later it turns out something a little bit more interesting is happening yes but i didn't know that Uh when we watched the very beginning of the first episode so 
as this song is playing, not so suddenly, mm-hmm. uh, June is remembering murdering Commander Waterford, which apparently happened it, last a, night, a matter of hours earlier. Yeah. Because she's sitting on the edge of the bathtub. She's still got uh, his blood stains on her flesh. She runs the shower, but she's not bathing. She's not washing herself off. She's just running it and sitting there and thinking about it. And she seems very uh, pleased with herself and very happy about it. And this song is playing. And isn't it a little bit ironic to be using this song that's like a love song that's like yeah. somebody dreaming about someone they love when what she's dreaming about is murdering somebody quite brutally. <laughs> I wouldn't think to juxtapose those two things. <laughs> did you also notice what they did with what she's wearing? Tell me. So this is something that like I actually would think would – it's not that I don't think it's smart. I want to give a shout out to the one person in costume design who came up with this idea. Mm. Um, But she's wearing like a sweatshirt with like a coat and – jeans or whatever like it doesn't like that doesn't matter necessarily but the sweatshirt very specifically has that very specific neckline Mm. that's like a little bit lower than your collarbones like it's not a um crew cut sweatshirt Mm -hmm. yeah it's like laying very flat on her chest it's like a little bit lower than her collarbones but it's like well above her cleavage that's the same neckline that the the handmaid's dresses have Mm -hmm. um and so when she's leaning against the tub uh with the exception of the fact that i think this is otherwise quite stupid it is quite stark to have her in this neckline still it's like Mm -hmm. she can't escape this thing around her neck specifically Mm -hmm. yeah but she seems to be enjoying herself and and relishing the moment (laughs) she's something i'll bring up the couple of times that this happens but there are a couple of times that i'm watching her throughout the first two episodes where i'm just certain that she's going to do something just so like off the wall um and she she has she doesn't but i'm just like she's losing it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so uh from there we see what we've already seen from the very end of the previous season which is when she picks up baby nicole Mm-hmm. And Luke is there to be like, what's going on? Whose blood is that? Mm-hmm. And we said, oh, it seems like she's saying goodbye. And I speculated that like oh, the only place for this to go is like she is like a leader of a violent resistance group. Mm-hmm. And in order to, you know, devote herself to that, she has to, you know, leave her family behind. So she... um she literally leaves, mm-hmm. but not before uh, Luke and Moira try to stop her. And she says, I killed him. I killed Fred. And then she gets in the car and drives off. And these two people are just like the voices of reason as they have been the whole time. She drives to a diner, which is <laughs> which is populated by uh, the other women who did the murder with her. Mm-hmm. And they are all eating and uh, having a grand time and uh, June uh, feasts. And also the the waitress hilariously. There's a couple of like one liners from like 
characters in these two episodes that I don't think are supposed to be very hilarious, but they're very hilarious because they're just so starkly in contrast to these people that are insane. Mm -hmm. And one of them is this waitress who says, guess you're in with this lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) As like there are all these people in there like multiple because it's Canadian winter layers of clothing just like glaring. (laughs) And they're dirty and they're bloody. Yeah. Looks like they're part of like a fight club or something. (laughs) So they leave. They're in the parking lot. One of them gives June a gun. Mm -hmm. And uh, of which there are a few guns. She has a trunk full of guns. And the conversation becomes about, you know, who's next and how they're going to get the access to the next person they're going to kill. And June uh, doesn't want to have that conversation. And it gets confrontational. And it was at this point that I thought to myself, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, Seems to be uh, bringing the story in a direction about the cycle of violence, Mm -hmm. you know, dig two graves, uh, how, you know, you you make a plan and and the the more... uh, grand the plan the more other people get involved and Mm -hmm. usually when you're you know if there's like a criminal plot in a story then what makes the story interesting is that the other people who are necessary to the plan they all become variables and they all have their own interests Mm -hmm. and i was thinking oh this is kind of like a like a coen brothersy sort of like a clusterfuck of a situation but like without the sense of humor, like mm-hmm. the gallows humor that that goes into most Coen Brothers stuff. And then I'm going to circle back to that before the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Now I want to move on to sort of two things that happen in the middle, which I think are the two unintentionally funny things that happen in this first episode. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the diner or the parking lot? Um, Let me look at my notes really quick. I will say I... Did I did have a note in here at one point where I just said, I think if I was June, I'd just have killed myself by now. Mm-hmm. Because, like, in the first, like, ten minutes of that episode, everything just is so, like, just feels so bad. Like, especially when they're basically fighting about, like, well, like, we did your revenge. It's time for us to do our revenge. We all have somebody to do revenge for. I was like, this is just not worth it. That's going to come into play in what I think is a pretty interesting way in the second episode that we're going to discuss. Uh-huh. Uh, were you about to say something else? Uh, no. No, I think that's all I have right now. So the first unintentionally funny thing that happens is uh, something that uh, Dana latched on to and that as it was happening, we were laughing and making jokes about. And that is um, uh, the absence of Alexis Bledel and, yes. and how they deal with that. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk about this. So it actually comes up in the parking lot. Uh, I think June asks, where's Emily? And someone says, she's not here. Yeah. And we had a chuckle about that. And we thought, like, what if that's the only thing that they said about it? <laughs> and and it, before that point in the show, I I honestly had the thought, like, it would not surprise me at all if they just didn't mention Emily. That's actually what Kenny said. Kenny was like, why don't they just... Because Kenny didn't really watch these closely with me, but he sort of watched and then I would give him recaps. And he was like, why don't they just not mention her? Like, I feel like it would be easy to just not mention her. 
Um, and I did actually say it does make sense to me that if June is on this like wild revenge kick that she would want to tell everybody and that she would do the thing that she does, which is drive to her house to try to find her. Right. So uh, it got funnier because she drove to her house, talked to her wife. Played by the amazing Clea Duvall. Right. And Elizabeth Moss and Clea Duvall have a conversation that uh, is meant to, <laughs> it's meant to serve one purpose. Mm-hmm narratively but mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to escape the ulterior How hilarious motive. it is yeah <laughs> the the narrative purpose that it's supposed to serve was their decision for what to do with this uh situation was we will we will use uh alexis bladell's absence as an opportunity to uh give june an, an example Mm-hmm. of someone who went off the deep end and disappeared, which is something that she could easily do uh, herself if she pursues her drive for revenge. Mm-hmm. So uh, they uh, talk about how uh, Emily's not around because she went back to Gilead. Why? To Presumably... They say to find Aunt Lydia. They mention Aunt Lydia in particular. And they're yeah. like, she went back. She she wasn't, you know, done fighting. The way that the scene actually feels, the way that it reads, is they're not talking about Emily. They're talking about Alexis Bodell. <laughs> and and we and we were laughing about it because the scene goes on and on. Mm-hmm. With June asking, uh, for example, she asks if if you hear from her, will you let me know? And Cleo Duvall says no. Yeah, she just and, goes no. And also before that, she goes, June, shut the fuck up. Which I was like, yes, shut the fuck up, June. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot that that was the first moment that that happens. Yeah. So, um. Flash forward to the second episode that we're going to talk about. There's a moment where Moira, Moira tells June to shut <laughs> the fuck up. Yes. <laughs> and I, I I have remarked, this is a very interesting area to explore uh, narratively. <laughs> what if all the secondary characters were always telling the main character <laughs> to shut the fuck up? And that is like how you felt as an audience member. <laughs> also, so... Also with the Cleo Duvall exchange. So first off, when she shows up at Cleo Duvall's house, I wrote, June, take a shower in all caps. Because she is still covered in blood. And Well, yes. And this we have to get into, I, I can't respond to that without getting into, okay, so they they do the inside the episodes, right? This is, oh, this right, is my yes. favorite thing to talk about. What they haven't done is they haven't brought back one burning question. Oh right, which they only did last season. <laughs> yes, and and as Dana pointed, your favorite thing. Well, as Dana pointed out to me, because they're no longer doing one burning question, that is why we are obligated to do what we're doing now. <laughs> yes, um, uh, which is why uh, if you are uh, engaging with us on Twitter and social media, I encourage you to use the hashtag two burning questions. <laughs> That's our hashtag for this. Yeah. Um, but uh, inside the episode, 
to watch uh, an inside the episode is to watch like two or three minutes of several people saying a few words like mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss, other cast members, other writers, producers, the showrunner and mm-hmm. the sort of main producer, Bruce Miller and Warren Littlefield, who are the older looking. Honestly, this is not a kind thing to say. I apologize. But they look respectively like Harvey and Bob Weinstein. They, they, <laughs> no, that's just, that's just the, the vibe that they give off just mm-hmm. to, to look at them and what they physically look like. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's the association that I have. Um, and that's, that's who is making the show. And that's who, uh, you get to see talk about the making of the show. And I think it's Bruce Miller in particular who talks about, we made the decision that June was not going to uh, wash the blood off of herself until she had any doubts or or fear or regret about mm. what she did. She's, mm-hmm. you know, she she's not, for about half the episode, she's not washing blood off of herself because she's staying dirty and she's proud of it and she's proud mm-hmm. of what she did. And then after the conversation with Emily's wife about Emily... Uh, when she's confronted with, oh, somebody, a friend of mine went off the deep end. That's when she, I guess, runs into like a public restroom somewhere. Yeah, it looks like a, um, it, she seems to be next to a lake. And so it seems to be like a park, a park restroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I was like, oh, a little water will wash this blood from our hands. Sorry. you, you So, yeah, you were saying she has oh. to take a shower. And then what, what were you going to say? Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to bring up as a question for you yeah, is, and maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, my reaction to hearing that Emily went back to Gilead was that that was, despite understanding why this is happening from a functional standpoint, mm-hmm. that seems totally against her character. I agree, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it seems It seems very far-fetched, yeah. It's, like, it's, I know that she was very broken, obviously, mm-hmm. and that she, despite being reuni- reunited with her family, was not um, actually really gelling with them very yeah. well. It obviously wasn't planned, and uh, w- I don't think that what they came up with was consistent with what they were doing before they had to, b- before they were put into the pos- this position where they had to uh, solve this problem. Yeah, um, which I feel like makes that scene even funnier to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where Clea Duvall's like, "Yeah, I don't know. This is probably better for us." <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got to see her again. But that's that's the other thing that she <laughs> says that was so funny. She says, "We're we were fortunate to have her for as long as we had her." <laughs> and I turned to Dana and I said, "Yeah, four seasons." <laughs> <laughs> I will say, as we have discussed. Alexis Bledel has been quite a light in this show. I think her acting's very good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the way that she reacts to a lot of the, like the way that her character is written feels significantly more reasonable to me than yeah. a lot of the other plot lines, which is part of what makes it disappointing that she left, though I understand why 
she would want to leave. I think she was a great part of the show, and I cannot help myself but speculate about why she would leave. And I, yeah, I, I, because I have my own obvious biases about the show, I just have to assume that the reason that she left was she just said enough is enough. Yeah. When I signed up to be on the adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale, I don't think anyone thought that Mm -hmm. it was going to go on for more than one season, Mm -hmm. let alone six. Yes. And so, yeah, if if somebody leaves the show in the middle mysteriously. um, Especially because they must be getting paid well. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she also wasn't being paid well. Maybe, but I don't, I don't, yeah. they're getting a bunch. They're clearly that show is a big cornerstone for Hulu right now. Oh, they're clearly yeah. putting a lot of money into it. Right. Now, how that's being distributed, of course, we don't know. But no, I think yeah, the show is like Hulu's main thing. It's it's yeah. the, it's their top uh, product. So um, I I as funny as that uh, conversation is on a meta level. Mm-hmm. I think we can move on to the other thing that I thought was unintentionally funny in this episode, which is um, so the 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 B plot is that Serena has to find out that Fred <laughs> that Fred has died. Mm-hmm. Um, the way she finds out is that a bunch of armed guards escort her quite forcefully away from her prison to where she is. What is she doing when she gets arrested? Yoga. And what is she wearing? I don't remember. Yoga clothes. Okay. Like, you know, like the, like, which is just so funny because of her character and like the clothing aspect of it. Mm-hmm. For her to be like carted away in athleisure. Yeah. It's like very good. Yep. That was kind of strange. Uh, so they say that they are bringing her to a more secure location. Mm-hmm. And the reason is Fred was murdered. And she could be the next target. So uh, what I think is uh, a very funny is when we next see her in the more secure location, mm-hmm. the way we see her is from outside looking through an enormous window. <laughs> yes. she, she, is, she is in a room with windows the size of walls. Mm-hmm. And she is right. She is as close as she could be <laughs> to one of the windows, and she's looking out. And uh, I went, "Oh yeah, a much more secure location." I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so now, granted, it does seem like a very remote location. It seems like nothing else is around. Yes. And I suppose I could give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe that all those windows are. Bulletproof glass. Bulletproof glass. Though that seems like a weird investment for a prison. But still, (laughs) it is not what one pictures when one imagines a secure location for someone you're trying to keep safe. Um, An underground bunker. um, That's what I would think of. Is what I had in mind. But no, obviously, um, you know, they they would not know how to make the show were it not for putting you know the giant ca- windows the characters with like, with mainly with serena yes in front yeah. of giant windows yes that's, <laughs> um so uh 
Serena not only finds out that Fred was murdered, mm-hmm. but she has almost <laughs> no time to think that it might have been Gilead because he was going back to Gilead mm-hmm. or Americans or a plane crash. Um, she has reason to believe almost immediately that it was June. Um, and there are multiple reasons why when Mm -hmm. maybe we only needed one. (laughs) And the first is, uh, she sees a, she sees an image of how the body was found Mm -hmm. and it's all strung up like the wall and mutilated. And it says the dog Latin phrase, Mm -hmm. nolite, blah, blah, blah. Uh, To which I thought when she sees that, I was thinking to myself, like, uh, I don't have a good enough memory for the show to know whether or not that should mean something to Serena. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a clue. And then uh, Mark Tuello uh, says... I don't understand why they gave that man the last name Tuello, which is like impossible to say. We talked about this last time. (laughs) I know, but every time it comes up. And you know what I think? I don't know if I said this. Do you know what I think of? What? Tupelo Press. No, no. I keep I, thinking there's a P missing. I don't think you said that last time. That's <laughs> that's right. Uh, so Mark Tuello tells Serena, uh, we received an envelope addressed to you containing two <laughs> items. <laughs> the first is this ring and he hands her the ring and she identifies it as Fred's wedding ring. Which is hilarious that she that they felt the need to make her say that out loud. And he says the second item was a, a finger. Uh, and she says, which finger? Which is so stupid. <laughs> it was his ring finger, uh, if you can believe that. Um, and this is all, this is understandably, uh, justifiably, all the information that she needs to... Put it together. What what she's meant to know mm-hmm. uh, that that uh, June uh, did this. That, that June is the murderer. I will say at one point I forget exactly where she says this. So maybe it's after she has some of this information. But I feel like the first thing out of her mouth is this has to have been June. No one else is this like crazy enough. Essentially, save that for the second episode because she okay. she says something in the second episode which I think is the funniest thing about. Episode two. But the thing about when she says it in that scene specifically is I we've just seen all of these other women who clearly are crazy enough. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> like, like, literally, we've just cut from this group of women in a diner that one, not only participated in this murder, but two, now want to go murder other people. And you've reminded me that because we don't haven't seen those women again uh, just yet. Uh, when we moved on from those scenes with them, I, I squandered my opportunity to refer to them as June's cronies, <laughs> which I wanted to do not because uh, that's my invention and I think it's good or funny, but because mm-hmm. that is language that I heard Elizabeth Moss use in an interview. No. Yes, she used the word cronies uh, to refer to those other women, <laughs> uh, the other characters. Um, so... Uh, now, uh, the episode goes to a place that I really respect. Okay. Which is June turning herself in. Oh, yes. Which I thought was very funny. Confessing. I was like, what is happening? And this is 
intentionally funny and i yes. and i think it is good i yes i want to praise the show for the scene where june turns herself into the police confesses mm-hmm. to fred's murder and she's told by a prosecutor this murder t- took place in no man's land mm-hmm. outside canada disputed territory the crown has no quarrel with you <laughs> an incredible line and um, a, an officer of the law tells her, you will be fined for, I, uh, I, I forget the exact language that they use, but they like transporting biological matter or something like yeah. that. Because she mailed the finger, she has <laughs> to pay a fine. And that's, that's why I said we were going to circle back to what I said about the Coen brothers. Yeah. Because it was like, oh. Um, moments ago, I was thinking, "Oh, this is like a Coen Brothers clusterfuck," but there's no gallows humor. Mm-hmm. Here it is. This is this is just like a Coen Brothers thing because this is intentionally funny. This is this is a funny situation of somebody doing a violent murder, thinking I'll do the right thing, turning myself in, and then the bureaucratic system is set up to not punish them and not hold them mm-hmm. accountable. But they do have to pay a fine because of this other little thing that they did. I I I like that part of the show, and uh, and where and then where it goes from there is basically she goes home. She she says, you know, I thought I was going to be in jail. Moira says, mm-hmm. you scare me. She says, me too. She's she's got a lot of complicated feelings about what she did. And what she's going to do now, uh, because she she didn't plan for uh, this this being her circumstances mm-hmm. uh, next. Um, I think that's all I have to say about that episode. Do you have any? Other- I have some notes. OK. Um, the first is that. I think it's I don't I'm assuming they didn't do this on purpose. But I think it's worth noting because of the show, which loves metaphor, that it's very weird that they picked the number 88 for the amount of the fine. Wow. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm mad at myself for not thinking of that. Do you know what I'm referring yes, to? Yes, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, 88 is often associated, because this, this has become a problem with my birthday year, because mm-hmm. I was born in 88. Um, with the because eight is the eighth H is the eighth letter of the alphabet, eighty eight is like associated as like a numeric way to say hail Hitler, Heil Hitler. Yes, <laughs> which I learned this because my um friend Jeremy um was like you know when he was making his like you know he was making like short films or whatever in high school had originally wanted to call his little like production company I'm putting in scare quotes Tober eighty eight because he was born in October. Um, and then realized that he could not do this because he did not want to think people were associating him, a black man, with Nazism. That's right. Um, so I think it's like out of – it's one of those things where like I don't know if they were doing it intentionally. And if they were, it's like weird. And if they weren't doing it intentionally, like why like they should have picked a different number? I just Googled uh, – and, and let me just preface this by saying this is not the answer. I, I, okay. I Googled this and <laughs> confirmed that this is not the reason – I googled *Handmaid's Tale* publication date, it, it which is 1985. So, okay. so that doesn't explain it. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a good, solid chance that somebody did that intentionally, and they just thought yeah. like, oh, a reference a reference to fascism. Yeah. 
like our show deals with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to know. It's like such a small detail, but it was also like out of every number they could have picked. So glad. Um, so glad you mentioned that. You caught that and you pointed that out. <laughs> also, as a note, I also want to say, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but like I feel like for smaller fees like that, they don't use they use round numbers. So it's like also weird that it's $88. Absolutely, it's weird, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was I think it's very funny that they they do they do explain it, but I think it's very funny that they go from like the record scratch of like we have to move move you, Serena, like you could be next, blah blah blah, to like uh them just like not being able to like actually prosecute June is very funny to me. Mm-hmm. Because then in the show it's sort of like they then go back to Serena and they're like, they can't actually do anything about it, so you can do whatever. But in the as you're actually watching the show, it just feels like so tonally dissonant, like they just hadn't thought it through. Right. And then I wanted to talk about the bath scene with um, Nicole, mm-hmm. is her name, which is a criticism I have for the way that they give that child a bath, or at least the sound design. This is so small, but this like really bothered me. Mm-hmm. The splashing sounds they have for when they're giving that child a bath there should not be that much water in that bathtub. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for a child that small, um, you are going to be putting like two or three inches of water in the tub. Um, and they, the the splashing sounds were like way too big. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and I, like to the point that I was like, I these almost don't even sound like they're coming from the tub. I like that. That's a good one. And then the other thing is, I thought it was very... I was also very annoyed and clearly because they're trying to say like, oh, at the end when she's like holding Nicole, they're trying to say like, oh, the purity and innocence of the child is a balm or whatever. And I was just like, you wrap that child in a towel. Mm -hmm. There is apparently an ocean of water in that tub. Do not just pick up this wet child and hold her. Wrap her in a towel. You, I'm sure you have one nearby. When you give a baby a bath, you get the towel first so that you can't, you don't abandon the baby in the bathtub to get the towel because, again, this is a dangerous thing. And so I was just, like, so annoyed that they did not wrap this naked baby up <laughs> in a towel before, like, hugging her. Like, even if they had the towel over her and she was still, like, skin to skin against June, I was just like, that baby is going to get cold. Like, I so which is to say I'm mom shaming. Mm-hmm. I'm mom shaming them. Those are my notes. That's fair enough. I mean, it is possible. I mean, they. It's more than possible. It's it's obvious that they that in other ways, uh, they do want us to fear that June is not suited to be a mother. Oh yes, yeah. This is just like bad bad form. Not like uh. Though this was one of the moments where I was like, oh oh, is she gonna kill the baby right now? Like, I, because I was like, we know there's three feet of water in this tub. So, like, is she just going to push that baby under and, like, not note? And, like, they're going to have to come in and stop her? Like, this was the first time that I was like, oh, no, she's going to do something. It's slightly possible that when they made the decisions that you're uh, mom shaming them for, <laughs> that they were thinking, like, well, June's not a nap. Well, I guess June was. No, th- I take back what I'm saying because. June was a mother before she was she mm-hmm. she was Hannah was that age, but maybe she's lost it, maybe yeah or or maybe I don't know she didn't do as much of that as uh you have or or some other mothers, um or maybe Will. it was just really important to somebody that they showed that baby's <laughs> naked ass, yes, that's why I'm like 
It's just not, I mean, and like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's like a realistic thing that you would see with a baby, but I just don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Will, we have an ad break between episodes. Oh. The ad break is for one of the ads that I got. Ah. Um, Now, so I wanted to bring this up because like one of the things we talk about with this show a lot is how sort of like too on the nose it is or how it's like a little bit. Not heavy-handed. No, heavy-handed. It's, yeah. like, heavy-handed. It's too on the nose. Not subtle. It, it's, like, not subtle, but it's also, like, um, it's to the point that it's sort of offensive because it, like, you know, is disregarding things like black people or... Um, trans people. Trans people. Like, anything like that. So, um, you do not have ads. I pay for Hulu without ads. Yes, I don't, uh, because I am cheap. Um, so I get ads, and so some of the ads I'm getting are like David Trone's ad about how he used to be a farmer or whatever, because there's an election coming up. Okay. <laughs> some of the ads are like their sports that happen. There was one ad that showed up that was so clearly targeted, like it was clearly like you're watching The Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. so you're probably also going to be like super into this program and the program that they were arguing arguing advertising advertising, (laughs) is a show called this is between us Mm. or no sorry keep this between us it's called keep this between us this is what i was looking up to get it right because i actually wrote down this is between us and that's wrong and of course like the imdb page isn't loading for it keep this between us is a like documentary um show about a woman examining her past relationship with a teacher. And it's about this, it seems to interview a couple of different women who were essentially groomed by their teachers and then had obviously inappropriate relationships with them. And like it like includes a woman going like, I was a child, like in the um the ad or whatever. And I just want to say, clearly this is very bad. I want these women to be able to tell their stories and I want them to have catharsis and I want all of, you know, I want that to all happen and exist and I want this to not happen. It feels so fucking offensive to have this on during The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. It feels so much like, do you derive pleasure from seeing these women raped? Mm. How about you hear real life women talk about how they were raped by their teachers? Similarly to in The Handmaid's Tale, how these very young women are with these much older men a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, it's like, I guess it's like, I, I understand it's not beneath them. Obviously, they did it. It's like very on brand for that whole marketing team. Mm-hmm. But. I w- can you can you imagine the, like the sort of shock I felt when I was seeing this ad for the first time? Yeah, I think I'm getting a picture of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's um yeah it's as we've talked about before. Uh, it's it uh, can get uh, very uncomfortable as these uh, subjects are turned into uh, commercial products, which are yes, which exactly are bought and sold um, and consumed in in that way. So that's my ad break. Uh, very good. Uh, and a perfect uh, segue to uh, tackle. Episode two is uh, called Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I think that I could break down this episode into having an A, a B, and a C plot. Mm-hmm. And the C plot 
is June's part, which is barely there. Yes. But basically, because we have to address some stuff that we had not addressed as much in the first episode. Basically, it comes, as I remember it, it comes down to, okay, so we have to talk about how it starts. Yes. Another thing. Needle drop. Another (laughs) thing I said we would circle back to, oh, here's uh, the uh, new twist on on Mm -hmm. an old classic. They are actually repeating a needle drop. They are Mm -hmm. uh, beginning two back-to-back episodes the same way with the same song. And this time, it is intercut with June having memories about Serena. And she's not pleasantly reflecting on the murder of one of her enemies by her own hand uh, and by the hands of her cronies. She's, uh, you know, upset to be having these invasive thoughts uh, about Serena. And, and she's in bed, so she, like, can't sleep and... And isn't that an interesting total juxtaposition between the lighthearted song <laughs> and the very serious uh, subject matter that you see on the screen? Uh, it's like it's like the show's trying to tell us, like, guys, she's really traumatized. And she, uh, her part of the episode is about her being obsessed with Serena, mm-hmm. upsetting Rita and her friends saying when is she going to get what she deserves and dragging everyone down into, you know, uh, reflecting on their traumatic past rather than trying to move on. And uh, Luke sitting her down and getting to getting June to agree. Forget about her. Fuck her as they repeat. Uh, And that is all a setup for the way that the episode is going to end, Serena is going to make sure that that is not possible. So just because we're sort of the June plot isn't super interesting. That's why there, I, I do want to. Yeah. yeah, I do want to talk about the three times that I thought June was going to do something or the two times I thought June was going to do something nuts in this episode. So the first time I thought she was going to do something nuts was where I was like, oh, she's just going to kill that baby. She's just going to kill the baby. Uh, and she didn't. And that's fine. Yeah. The second time is when she starts getting flashbacks when she's they're like deciding what game to play with Rita, who I who I also still really love as an actress. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we got to see her again. Yeah. Um, which she was looking at the Scrabble tiles and I just was like, June's going to eat the Scrabble tiles. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I really thought. And then when she's actually at the ballet. So when I was watching this and I saw that ballet at first, they initially show you the ballerina from behind. Mm-hmm. So you're as if you're in the wings or behind the stage looking out at the crowd. And she looks very Serena-esque. Mm. And I thought. It was Serena at first, not, you know, I thought it was Serena's actress, like, having some sort of mind imagination of doing ballet while she's, like, you know, as a metaphor or whatever, before realizing, oh, this is just, they're actually literally at the ballet. Because did they tell us that they were going to go to the ballet before we see them there? I feel like they didn't. If they did, it, I missed it. I can't remember if there was one reference to it or zero. Um... And so I, like, didn't know that this was what was happening. And then when they showed June in the crowd, I was like, I literally wrote down, uh, what crazy thing is June going to do at the ballet? (laughs) And I really thought she was going to, like, have some sort of, like, flat, because she's been having all these flashbacks. 
And so I really thought she was going to have like a flashback interspersed with this ballet person looking like Serena, looking Serena-esque. And I thought she was going to like freak out at the ballet ballerina like during the performance. And that also did not happen. But like that's sort of like how they've set up June right now. Also, I have another note about their house, which is that they seem to have a lot of really great refugee services. And I do believe that everyone should have refugee services. For people that have been displaced. I think. However. Yes, go ahead. I think that will be a subject for the next episode based on what little I know of the content Ooh. of the next episode. Episode three is called Border. Oh, okay. Uh, but mm-hmm. they have a bigger kitchen than I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unfair that these fake people have a bigger kitchen than I do. And if they have the ability to give a bigger kitchen than I do, I also think that June should be in therapy. <laughs> You? Why is June not in therapy? Yes. Well, the the, re- the reason the reason for the the kitchen question is that you don't have to fit television cameras into your <laughs> kitchen. That's the reason yeah, that's why true. people on TV have nice big houses and apartments, yes. etc. Uh, so, uh, was there something else I was going to say about June? Oh, okay. Uh, what I was going to say was. You said uh, the ballerina in silhouette looked so much like the Serena actress. Mm-hmm. You thought it was going to be some kind of mind imagination thing. Yeah. To which I just wanted to point out um, something that I try to track when I'm watching a show is, is this show allowed to do dream sequences or not? Mm-hmm. And Handmaid's Tale, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe has never done a dream sequence they will do flashbacks, you know, characters can have memories of things, but a dream sequence, no. Nobody ever, like, wakes up from a dream. Um, we never, like, we never see the content of their imagination unless mm-hmm. it is, like, a memory of something, especially, like, a scene we've already seen before. So, like, at the beginning of this episode. I would say that you're right for the most part, but we do get times when reality is distorted Mm -hmm. in a way that i feel like would not make it impossible for them to do the thing that i had suggested Mm -hmm. especially in relation to june's trauma because there is that moment when she's in the grocery store and she starts disassociating and she sees those women through the aisle which is that's not how grocery store Mm-hmm. shelves work as we've discussed right. but she sees them through as if she's at a library and um she sees them in handmaid's outfits but they're actually wearing like uh headscarves true so i feel like yeah, um that's on the i agree with you but i think that the one time they have done this has been when something similar has been when june is having like an episode that's on the cusp um and that's a good point i i also had this in mind because of the way that the newest episode of the Lord of the Rings show starts, I before the character wakes up from the dream, I was mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, this must be a dream sequence. So this is a show where they're allowed to mm-hmm. do that. So that's like a new rule for a relatively young show. Uh, but then also on top of that, it's later revealed that there's like, an origin of the dream that she was having, having mm. which is, uh, a, you know, a a vision from a seeing stone. So that kind of makes a makes it a special exception. Maybe they wouldn't mm-hmm. do a dream sequence unless there was a something magical about it. 
like that. Um, But more importantly, um, you know, dream sequences, needle drops. These are like TV tropey storytelling conventions for this medium, which leads me to making the point. The other big uh, trick in the shallow bag of tricks for The Handmaid's Tale is June's voiceover. Mm-hmm. Which we didn't hear at all, did we? You're right. In yeah. Both of the first two episodes. Um, which, yeah, doesn't feel like an oversight to me. It feels like they've just abandoned it. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there's something about there's something about June being in Canada now that means like, well, she doesn't have to escape her real life environment so much Mm -hmm. so she's not looking inward so much Mm -hmm. because the horror is not like immediately surrounding her so uh yeah i feel like they've just stopped writing voiceover for her and i feel like whether they intended it or not i don't know what they're thinking but it feels like consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously it's a result of the show going to a uh, place of relative safety. Yeah. And I think that um, I, I absolutely agree with you in terms of the, like her being in Canada, it's like a different situation, but I know that we talked about this a lot in the first episode we did of this podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) about this, which is that like part of the strength of the book is that we do get such a narrow viewpoint of just the main character who's not named June in the book. Um, it's literally apparently. a diary in the case of the <laughs> yes. book. Yeah. And in the show, they do stick pretty close to that in the first season especially. Um, but because they need to fill time, they have to show us other things essentially. And now we're at a point where we've totally abandoned that sort of viewpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we sort of have, like, part of the strength of having to put things together is that we can't necessarily see everything all the time. So some of the mystery of how things are working is truly just a mystery. And so you sort of just have to, you know, know that something's happening that you can't see. Um, So, yeah, I think think that that makes a lot. Because now it wouldn't, I guess what I'm saying, too, is, like, it doesn't make sense to have a voiceover when we aren't spending most of the show with June. Right. Yes, that's a big part of it as well, is that the the focus have, has shifted away from her and more onto other characters. Speaking of which, the B-plot in this episode is about Janine and Esther. Yes. And to a lesser extent, Lydia, who's also mm-hmm. there. And they're back and Esther is played by McKenna Grace. We were introduced to her in the previous season. Mm-hmm. Um, the little wife I called her the little wife she's a big highlight in my opinion me too she's a rising star she was very good in Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, doing an impression of Egon but <laughs> as a young girl and uh, that was the best part of that movie which I think is entertaining despite being mm-hmm. pretty bad mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this uh, plot is a little bit dull until it reaches what it was all leading up to. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the best part so far. I like the 
story that I think that it's I think that it's interesting. Uh, a story about uh, the opposition between these two ideological viewpoints, mm-hmm. the survivors' viewpoint that like the the best thing we can do is survive, and in that and in this situation, that means going along with everything uh, mm-hmm. when we don't want to, and it's all very bad and horrifying. But as long as we survive, that's the point. And the younger generation's point of view, which is, no, it's better. It, Fuck this. It's, it's better to die fighting. I would, I would rather yeah. die, you know, sticking my thumb in their eye than survive, uh, you know, sublimating myself to them and, and letting them have their way. So I have a couple of notes about this, which is, I think it's also interesting Something that I thought was interesting, it's always interesting when the people in the show who are evil show their own limits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when they are, like, the handmaids are taken to the Putnam's house during Fred's wake, which is sort of a intersection of the two plots. Um, they're, like, there to, like, be shown around, I guess. Yeah. Like, to be advertised. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mrs. Putnam, who I I think her actress is great. Like, she looks so frigid and old. Like, she just looks like she couldn't bear a child if she wanted to, the way she acts. I don't, I speak nothing of this actual actress, but, like, the way that she holds herself, the way that she, like, talks, she just seems like, God, nobody would ever want to kiss you. How could you even get pregnant? Um, But she's older, right? She, like, must be in her, like, late 40s at this point or something. And when she's introduced to Esther, who's, I think, what, 16 or 15, maybe? Yeah. Um, she really is, like, just barely childbearing age. Um, she says, oh, she's sort of young. Like, she, like, in that moment, she's like, this is getting a little mm-hmm, extreme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really now? But it is funny yeah, to see Yeah, you're testing her. my limits, yeah. <laughs> like, you're testing my limits. Like, I don't know if I want to hold this child down while she gets raped. Mm-hmm. I felt better about it when it was a grown woman. Um, a cyclops, also- no less. Yeah. <laughs> But also, then to contrast that to Mr. Putnam, mm-hmm. who does, who it's like the, like, the grossest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's such a creep. He's like so fucking smarmy is the word, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then with the dumb truffle yeah. and his fucking choo-choo noises. Yep. That was, um, that was a scene that was made harder to watch by the subtitles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Because it was all noises. <coughs> oh my god, human, it was so funny. Human noises. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was really interesting. In term, not really, really interesting, but like I thought it was interesting how they were like, you know, Mrs. Putnam has this sort of barrier that she's run up against, whereas Mr. Putnam is just like full on one hundred. Because we know that this dude's a free- he's a little bit of a freak, right? Mm-hmm. He was the one that was letting Janine go down mm. and do other things that his wife would never let him That's right. do. Yeah. Um and he lost a finger for it. So the fact that he's over here salivating over this like child, oh God. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's 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 a it's as rough as it is supposed to be. It is it is mm-hmm. designed to be unpleasant <laughs> and disgusting. And it's successful in that regard. Um, is there anything left to say about Lydia, Janine, Esther, 
the whole handmade part of the handmaid's tale so i wanted to say that um lydia i i don't i feel sort of weird commenting on this but like lydia's actress looks like she's lost some weight hmm. um which i only bring up because um i feel like she looks a little bit frailer yeah um and i hope that this woman's in good health i hope that she's fine i don't mean to be commenting on her body but in when you're looking at it in terms of the show you know something that we've been talking about has been lydia's sort of like fall where she you know she got the shit beat out of her and then she wasn't doing well for a while um where she stands right now i think is sort of up for debate like the fact that she was kicked out of sort of protecting esther around because kenny was like did mr putnam like do something to esther that we just don't see. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? They don't. I think the answer is no, mm-hmm. but they don't. They sort of leave it in a weird place where maybe the answer could be yes. I don't think they would hold back something like that. Yeah, I think that writing wise with the show, they wouldn't. But the fact that, you know, Lydia's supposed to be there to protect them and she even has to sort of like bow her head down and leave. Um, I think sort of is maybe reflective in the way that she's appearing. Um, also, like, do do we actually think that Janine and Esther are going to be just dead? No. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, I literally had said to Kenny, oh, I love seeing this actress. She's such a light. And then, like, five minutes later, she was, like, bleeding out of the mouth. <laughs> well, she, she gets up to her old tricks. You remember that when we met her, she was the little wife. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. found out that she was poisoning her husband. So poison is, like, her M.O. And they they brought that back. Um, yes. which I sort of respect them for. I also assuming I, that it was last... poison and not like yeah. tiny razor blades or something. <laughs> tiny razor blades that she didn't notice. The only other thing I will say is that uh Bits of glass. when she when she was sort of losing it and like, you know, poisoning and telling Janine that she, she actually hated her and stuff like that, I did say out loud like, "Wow, it's amazing what happens when you brutalize somebody for their entire lives." <laughs> Like, of course she's willing, like, of course, I guess my point is, is like, with Janine, Janine, for as brutalized as she's been, she has this sort of, like, memory of things not being like that. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like sh- her survival is like, well, if I just survive this long enough, eventually I will be free mm-hmm. of something happening that I have nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Whereas th- th- now that we're seeing this um, rise of children, because I know we've talked about timelines and how long it's been on the show. Mm-hmm. And when we see a certain character later on who is significantly older than she was at the beginning of the show. A little bit of a problem. Yeah. And so um, I think we've decided it's been like five or six years, I Mm. think was what we decided last time. Mm. Um, And now we have this sort of new rising class of handmaids, right? right? These are handmaids that have always been a part of the system. As opposed to people that were adults that remember, you know, that are being pulled into handmade dumb because they had proven that they were fertile already. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, nobody is into this idea. Right. Of course, their reaction is to just be insane and poison their commander slowly and poison each other. And you know what I mean? So since you brought up Lydia just a little bit ago, I I just want to say what I think is the most interesting thing to look out for the most interesting lens for me to watch the show through is knowing that this is not the final season 
But Oh, it's not? I was going to ask you this too. Okay, so this is where I reveal to you because I guess you don't know. They they recently announced The Handmaid's Tale was picked up for a sixth season for, for which is also the final season. So okay. so they've announced that they're doing one more and that's it for The Handmaid's Tale, but also the showrunner, I believe, has committed to making a show called The Testaments. To, oh, okay. To making a sequel show. Mm-hmm. Which, if it is anything like the book, The Testaments, will primarily star Lydia. Lydia. So, Who we love as an actress. And Dowd is terrific, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's one of the best. Uh, so the lens that I'm watching the show through that what I'm looking for is, okay, I think what, like what they're, when they're writing the show, Mm -hmm. their motivation going forward must be, we need to thread this needle so that in, Mm -hmm. in, one more season after this one june's story reaches an ending point right and we no longer tell a story starring elizabeth moss yeah but also on top of that a story in the in the world will continue without june and lydia will be more or less a protagonist yeah. So I feel like we're simultaneously watching Lydia has to go through enough of a redemption story so that general audiences will accept her as a protagonist to a sequel show. Mm-hmm. While also at the same time, they have to justify June no longer being a part of the story even as the story continues of other people in this world. Mm-hmm. With, I think June's going to die just as a my prediction. I just think she's going to die by the end. I uh, Part of me thinks, yeah, you're probably right. And part of me thinks this show seems more hell-bent on being um, hopeful for people in June's, you think so? I mean, obviously they're. I, I, <laughs> look, I don't. I don't a hundred percent mean what I just said. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Obviously, it the the show is primarily hell bent on torturing innocent people. That's that's mm-hmm. what that's what it's a story of. But, um. Well, I guess I guess here's what I guess actually what I think is going to happen is I think you are right and mm-hmm. and it won't be okay. Yeah. Yes. I, I agree. I think that it won't be cathartic. I think that general audiences will be very unhappy to see anything but a happy ending for June. Mm-hmm. But I think they have written themselves written themselves into a corner where they ha- they have to uh, end it with June dying. I actually have, I have a very specific thing. This is what I think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because the story at its core, 
for all of its deviations, has been about Hannah. Uh-huh. Hannah is the sort of unseen main character, right? Yeah. And so my guess is that they will retrieve Hannah and June will die in the process. That is my guess. Yeah. That is what seems to be the neatest, maybe not the neatest, but the most resolving of bows. That's possible. Yeah. Um, I, I, I read the Testaments. I don't have a perfect memory for it, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it would go if they strictly adapted the Testaments. Okay, so in the Testaments, the characters are Lydia, because it's told, it's three different perspectives, right? That's right. And it's Lydia, Nicole. And Hannah. Right? Oh, it is Hannah, too. If I remember correctly, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. I couldn't remember the third person. I'm pretty sure it's Lydia, Nicole, and Hannah. Mm-hmm. And Nicole is in the circumstances that Nicole would be, meaning she's in Canada. Mm-hmm. But she's not with her original family. Right. And she sort of learns her origins through the story. Mm-hmm. And then there's the perspective of a young lady coming of age in Gilead. And I believe that is Hannah. Okay. If I remember correctly. Okay. Okay. So that's interesting. That's good to know. That's good to think about. So, yeah, I feel like that's another sort of corner that they have themselves in. I don't think that they have to be faithful to mm-hmm. what Margaret Atwood wrote uh, in the Testaments, but I do think that they have a reason for maybe leaning that way. Mm-hmm. More importantly, mm-hmm. we got to wrap this up by covering the A plot of episode two. Bum, bum, bum. Which is Serena. Which is Serena's part. So now I'm I'm reflecting on this and now I'm remembering... The place where I want to start here was actually in the previous episode. Okay. I think it's before the end of episode one. Correct me if I'm not uh, remembering this right. Um, the scene in what I assume is a morgue. Yes. With yes. Fred's body. And <laughs> Which thanks for showing us. <laughs> so we need to talk about the body because they show it. They don't do close up on it but they do like full profile and they really like mm-hmm. linger on the shot that contains the body mm-hmm. um i watched uh elizabeth moss was on uh, jimmy kimmel mm. and uh oh here's something else i could say that we haven't said elizabeth moss herself directed both of these episodes yes i did notice that and primarily what J- jimmy and Lizzie talk about <laughs> is uh, the fact that she directed these two episodes and they talk about the body. They talk, they talk about, they talk about Fred's murder. Oh God. And they talk about the aftermath and the body. And you know how late night talk shows work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they, uh, the guest tells somebody you know mm-hmm. these are my funny anecdotes for the year or whatever mm-hmm. and then the talk show host sets them up for it mm-hmm. and i guess the funny anecdote that elizabeth moss went in with was i had to direct this episode with 
a mutilated corpse of one of my co-stars made <laughs> of, you know, rubber, silicone, all the things mm-hmm. that these props are made of. And th- whoever was designing this had made the decision to mutilate uh, the commander's uh, genitals. Yes. And and Elizabeth Moss said, well, let's pump the brakes for a second. <laughs> Let's have the body have intact genitals. Great. <laughs> um, I can, I can all, I can sort of see making a case for that, mm-hmm. but I'm much more on the side of. There were a lot of women yep. carrying that out. Mm-hmm. You're you're gonna tell me not one of them mutilated his genitals especially when he has what looks like a zombie like ripped like plane of skin missing off from his ribs you see part of his rib cage yeah and i was like how did this happen (laughs) yeah with well fingernails yeah it's like that's so extreme to me like (laughs) i get i get a lot of the other sort of bruising and i get that like maybe a finger being bit off or whatever but an ear as we'll remember but, like, I was, like, it's also, like, way up under his shirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yes, if that could happen, then his genitals certainly were mutilated. Somebody would have gone there. Yeah. Um. So, that was weird. It was a weird decision to make, and it was weird to talk about it mm-hmm. on a talk show, in my opinion. Uh, but I find it kind of entertaining, so I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, but getting back to the point, um, Serena, uh, as she's leaving, um, there's a, there are a lot of supporters there mm-hmm. to um, say nice things to her. And that <laughs> that seems to sort of embolden her mm-hmm. to say, uh, I'm, I'm going to bury my husband in Gilead. Uh, and Mark is like, well, that's going to be tough, but I will make the arrangements. So also, as a note, I loved seeing those people that were, I was like, who are these pro-Gilead motherfuckers that are outside of this building? How did they know she was there? Why? How did they rally these candles together? I have a lot of questions. They obviously have a leader. Maybe they have a Facebook group or something. Funny you should say that. But also, I just imagined... Like, whenever the one was like, we're praying for you, Serena, I just imagined someone being like, I stopped reading for you. That's funny. <laughs> um, I said, uh, funny you should say that because uh, I I only know a little bit about what's coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, what little I know is mostly about, um, like, it's, it's news when, like, oh, a new cast member is added or, like, a new guest star yeah. will join The Handmaid's Tale next season. And that's why it was news that I was able to read that this particular actress who's new to the show is coming on board. And apparently the character that she's playing may mm-hmm. be the very figure that you are speculating about. The okay, sort of good. leader of the pro-Gilead people in uh, Canada. Canada. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and I think you will be slightly interested to see uh, who the actress is. Um, because I recognize her from a small part in the after party. Oh, nice. Uh, so uh, we're... Oh, okay. So in 
Episode two, Serena Mm -hmm. returns under Mark's supervision Mm -hmm. to Gilead, where she's greeted by Nick and Commander Lawrence. That guy. That guy. They're all back. (laughs) Who makes no sense. Our gang is all back together. (laughs) And uh, they're there for a funeral for Fred. Serena says, take me to... Serena says, take me to church. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the church is very small and she's very upset. I am so sorry. We missed something very important. Please. From episode one. Yeah. Which we can bring up now because it has to do with Nick. Yeah. We saw his wife. That's true. Yes, I did. And, you know, the show, which is a champion of diversity, she's disabled. She uses a cane. Mm-hmm. I was like, when when we saw her, I was like, and so this is interesting, right? Because we've never seen her before. We were hinted at that she existed because Nick had put that wedding ring on after he mm-hmm. saw, which they showed in the, like, you know, Previously this is what happened on. in the four seasons before today. Um, but also, she seems to be in on it. They have a really oh, yeah, brief exchange. Right. She's like, so this did is- she do what she needed to do? Oh, that's good. Yeah, so she seems to have some, um, I'm very, this is one of these things that I'm like actually quite interested in, what they're going to do with this character and what is going on here. Uh Because, first off, Nick already had a wife. That didn't end well. Right. Um, Now he has this, now he's a commander and he has this other wife. For some reason, they've decided to make her use a cane. Um, And she seems to be actually a trusted person of nick mm-hmm. not somebody that he is just stringing along like his first wife yeah uh yeah that was definitely an intriguing scene and uh something that must be uh you know something oh it'll come up something that they're going to build upon um so we'll see where that goes later uh in the church uh <laughs> serena says uh what i think is the funniest line across the two episodes that we're discussing Uh about um, she's talking about Fred's body and how it looked uh, like it had been torn apart by wolves. And because she knows it was done by June, she says the line, there is only one person who could express that kind of rage. Yes. (laughs) Which is just a very peculiar way of putting that, uh, in my opinion. And then she also says, I guess this church isn't that popular because from the angle that she's at, she's on a stage and it seems to be a size. And then they flip the camera and this whole, I thought this whole scene was so funny. They flip the camera and it's like a six pew church or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, Commander Lawrence says something like, well, we're just sort of trying to get this over with. Your husband kind of sucks. This is what everybody thinks is a good idea. Why don't you go back and watch the Maple Leafs in Canada? And she says, I'm not really a fan of hockey, (laughs) which I also thought was a very funny line. Another line that was like, why is this line here? Well, you're you're neglecting that that turns out to be more of a setup so that Bradley Whitford can say another thing. Oh, what was he say after that? He says, I think you would like it. It's elegant but brutal i think yes that's right he does say that okay we're we're belaboring this a little bit too much (laughs) 
Um, so uh, real quick, I want to divert into the uh, inside the episode. Oh, um, please. We've talked many, many times about how uh, the inside the episode might have certain differences from the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not edited the same way. They're chopped up to uh, go by really quickly. And yeah. what I noticed this time around, the reason I'm bringing it up, what I want to point out to you is they, not surprisingly, they must be captioned separately. Mm. The show was captioned. And then also mm-hmm. the inside the episode video about the show was itself captioned. Mm-hmm. I am going to text you an image now. Oh, I love this. I also love having captions on so that I can see. So so often I um, learn information from the captions that I wouldn't be able to hear otherwise. Okay. I just texted you an image, a photograph that I took of my television screen. Again, this is not from the show itself. This is from inside the episode, episode two, where we, you know, see clips. And there's a clip from this scene where Serena is saying to Lawrence, (laughs) what would the other commanders do if they knew that one of their own helped a handmaid kill her commander? Mm -hmm. And what do you see in that picture I sent you? Handmade is spelled as if it was made by hand. That's right. It's like this was like the auto captions on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I don't think that the captions are automatically generated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it 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 that could explain the mistake. It was a sub. There was a sub that day. Substitute. They didn't know what they were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Substitute captioner. No, yeah. Somebody who didn't even know what they were captioning, didn't know the mm-hmm. name of the show um, or uh, indeed how to spell. So um, there's one other thing that isn't in the captions. It's in actually the content of what is said on the inside the mm-hmm. episode. Uh, I mentioned before who you can expect to see in one of these inside the episode videos. I didn't mention the costume designer. Who, oh. who is interviewed in uh, the inside the episode for episode two. Oh, did they talk about the morning outfits? Because I wanted to bring this up. Well, the reason why is because uh, the episode's called Ballet and it culminates in June uh, gets dressed up to go to the ballet. Mm-hmm. Intercut with Serena dresses up for Fred's funeral. Mm-hmm. And Fred's funeral is intercut with the ballet that June goes to see. And the way that the costume designer talks about this is in the following terms. We put June in a white dress. She's like an angel. And we put (laughs) Serena in a black dress. She's like the devil. And I turned to Dana and I said, wow, I could never be a costume designer. (laughs) It really is that simple. Uh, It's really high level stuff. it's uh so the the thing I wanted to bring up because I also was like it this was so obvious that this was what was happening, but again, remember how I said I didn't know she was going to the ballet, so I was like, What the fuck is June doing? Why is she wearing this white dress with these ridiculous sleeves um but I thought it was really interesting that the outfit that the that the um wives are wearing to the wake is a it's not black mm. 
it's a dark green. It's like the same green, but like a very dark version of it. And so I was like, oh, they're not going to. Str- and so then the she was in a black are thing. Blue, don't they? Oh, you're right. They wear blue. So it's like a really, but it's dark. Mm-hmm. It's a dark color. Right. It's not black. Um, Who wears green? The Marthas? The Marthas. That's right. Yeah. But it's that like teal blue. Mm-hmm. And it was like a really dark version of it. Right. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting that like their morning outfits are just like still color coded. Like they're just not straight up in black. Um, and then the handmaids were in those like black cloaks over their red. Anyway, the point is, I thought that was very interesting. And then, of course, yeah, she's in her like with her fucking veil. Right. <laughs> well, keep all this color coding costume design talk in mind because I did watch the preview for episode three, mm. like 30 seconds of next time on The Handmaid's Tale. And the sort of climactic thing, the thing that they say for the end of the 30 seconds is spoiler alert. It's June who appears to be on the phone talking to Nick mm-hmm. and she's asking him that color purple that Hannah was wearing, what does it mean? Oh, okay. So apparently that's going to be significant. Yeah. Um, and that leads us to, okay, you already mentioned it, but we didn't really specifically say what we were talking about. So we'll mar- make it specific now. Hannah shows up. The episode ends in... Uh, Serena has gotten her way. The mm-hmm. um, funeral is broadcast live to the world, uh, ostensibly to raise the profile of Gilead mm-hmm. on the global stage. But in fact, Serena's real motive was to be seen by June. Uh, Hannah has a part in the funeral proceedings mm-hmm. that puts hannah right next to serena and serena gives her a little kiss (laughs) and they have not recast hannah Mm -hmm. Um, oh so this is the original actress well i don't know about original i'm i i only meant a recent actress anyway i only meant hannah looks a little bit too old to be hannah Mm -hmm. and i it presumably that's because it's the same little girl who we last Mm -hmm. saw playing hannah yeah. And she's grown up a little bit too much in the intervening time. I don't know how many Hannahs there have been over the course of five seasons. Yeah. But um, where I think, yeah, it would have made sense to get a new girl who is the right age. They mm-hmm. made the decision. No, the viewer needs to recognize that this is <laughs> Hannah. So it's going to be the last girl they saw playing Hannah. Uh, any leftover thoughts on this? Um, I will say when that happened, which I was, I was, I was surprised. I was actually surprised by this. I was not expecting that. Mm -hmm. I was, I did keep saying to Kenny, this is fucked up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, this is genuinely fucked up is what I kept saying. Um, I did think it was funny because I know we've talked a lot about focusing on, um, Elizabeth Moss's face. Yeah. And so I thought it was very funny that this is how they're ending on her face. Um, oh, there was something else I wanted to talk about with that. Um, oh, this this thing. The whole Serena trying to get the different funeral thing mm-hmm. is also another one of those like it's too on too like heavy handed because it's like at one point, Commander Lawrence, she's like, how did you get them to do it? And he says, I wasn't a woman. By not being a woman. <laughs> yeah, and he does a little smirk. 
But I will say something that I think is funny that this is both that is both I think reflective of within the show I think is funny for like in- interesting for Serena, but outside of the show I feel like is a corner that they've written themselves into mm. that they now have to deal with is that this is the second time that Serena has been like oh shit I shouldn't have taken away so many of my own rights, mm-hmm. and I'm bringing up I because there was another time that this happened that she was like hey guys. What if women read and they like cut her fucking finger off? Mm-hmm. And this time she's like, you know, hey, I have an idea. And they're like, well, you're a woman. So how about no? And then she's like, God, this is so frustrating. And it's like, you did this to yourself. <laughs> right. Um, um, I think. So I. Th- go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I think it's funny that now I feel like there is this sort of like when you have these forces, right? There's like. You know, June versus Gilead. Um, I also now feel it's sort of like Serena versus Gilead because Serena, I think, is part of me feels like she's being set up for this rise to power, except for the fact that that's going to have to be separate than Gilead because she doesn't have rights in Gilead. Yeah, um, I do think uh, just based on what I have read, uh, you know, interviews, I- I've been yeah. I've been doing a little supplemental material consuming and i do think that serena is going back to canada and i do think that it's going to be about her finding a new position from which to rule um that is less concerned with gilead Mm -hmm. um and i do think that it, it what they're setting up is mainly a serena versus june story um, and I feel like they are going to have a challenge to mm-hmm. uh, sort of shoehorn the business of Gilead uh, into into that. Um, but they'll do they'll do it all, um, whether whether they do it well or not. <laughs> it's true. I think that the final idea I have of what I want to say is just about um, I. It was very important to me that I read the um, Chiron on the news broadcast of Mm -hmm. the funeral. Mm -hmm. And what I want to point out there, I don't think that there's anything wrong with what they did. I just think it's a little bit funny that in the Chiron, um, it it refers to Gilead as a rogue nation. (laughs) Which is just a phrase that I have only heard as a subtitle for the fifth Mission Impossible movie. So it just... (laughs) It just piqued my interest, like, is that a thing, like, when they called Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation, was that an existing, like, term Term. in diplomacy or politics, or... That's so funny. I googled Rogue Nation, and obviously the first and foremost thing that comes up now is Mission Impossible, so... um, Yeah. It's just... But that begs the question, in the world of The Handmaid's Tale, does Mission Impossible Rogue Nation... (laughs) exist that is a movie that came out in 2015 oh so i think we maybe just got under it maybe it came out right before but the fall but as we know just in the last season of handmaid's tale there was a new Fortnite that oliver right. was excited about playing and so <laughs> that's right that's right um yeah i feel like there was some kind of a reference to some kind of popular culture in one of these two episodes that I clocked as like maybe that doesn't belong, 
But um, maybe that didn't happen at all because, and I'm not remembering what it was because it doesn't exist. I do know it was as much as Scrabble is clearly a game that has a publisher. It did feel a little bit jarring to see like an actual Scrabble box. Yeah. Like. (laughs) Also, um, just like to give you an idea of what I'm listening for and what kind of um, tweaks my ear. um, Mm -hmm. Watching the Lord of the Rings show. I thought it was odd when. Somebody started to use the word human or or mm. humans. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I am by no means a Lord of the Rings expert. I have not done the reading. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not qualified to say whether this is right or wrong. But it's enough to make me speculate. Like, aren't they just men? Like, I'm, I'm used to hearing like the age oh, of yeah. the age of men, the, the, the realm of men. Do they refer to them as humans or human beings? That seems a little bit odd to me. I think I think Blake will be able to answer this question, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that they do. I think that they're considered the the. I think you're right that they largely say the race of men, but I think that they do. Tolkien has called them humans. Yeah, but he'll be Blake will tell us in great detail. Yeah, it just struck me as being a a little a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Which is so much of what I like to uh, talk about on the show and why I look forward to doing more of it. And if all goes according to plan, we will be back in two weeks. Yes, I'll see you in two weeks. I'm very excited to see what happens. I'm very excited with this little cliffhanger you've given given me about Hannah's purple outfit. Yeah, you're welcome. Which is also just as a side note funny because like, wouldn't she be in more like at a f- in funeral? Cl- you know what I mean? Like. This is not a represent representative of what she's hypothetically wearing every day. <laughs> uh, we'll pick up that conversation next time. And uh, any more final thoughts before we sign off? No, I'm just I'm uh, I'm you know let's zoom in on my face. Another mm. Elizabeth. That's right. <laughs> a Lizzie, a Lizzie Moss looking Elizabeth of our own. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I love you and farewell. Love you, and I'll see you next time on the pod. Bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.